0: This is Rick Rosner and you're watching the TV Writer Podcast. Welcome to the TV
1: Writer Podcast, partner of Script Magazine, hosted by Gray Jones. You can follow me on Twitter, at Gray Jones is my handle. You can find all of these podcasts online at youtube.com slash Graham A. Jones, at scriptmag.com or on the podcast website at tvwriterpodcast.com, where you can also find lots of other resources like the TV Writer Twitter database, with Twitter handles for over a thousand writers and links to hundreds of free TV scripts. Now onto the episode. This is Gray and I'm here with TV writer and purportedly second highest IQ of the world possessor, Rick Rosener. I'm messing that up, but how are you doing, Rick? Hey, okay. <laughs> cool. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast because I think you have a really fascinating story. And uh, and I think one of the reasons that is it's fascinating is because um, I think a lot of people who, who want to get into writing might be coming from something else. And they might be coming from an area where um, they might be told by people, this is what you should do. And, uh, and I know from coming from a math background myself, that just because I was good at math didn't necessarily mean that that was what I wanted to do with my life. Uh,
0: I kind of didn't want to do math science because I eventually wanted to get a girlfriend. <laughs> and it, it, people don't know now. Now it's okay to be nerdy. Back in the 70s, it was a little brutal.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, well, wh- why don't we talk about that? Because I think it really does inform sort of the trajectory of 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 your life and inform where you ended up so so tell me about you grew up in boulder colorado yeah and uh, and so when when did you know that you were this sort of high iq person or or nerdy person Um, i
0: started reading really early first of all in the 60s i was born in 1960 there were no helicopter parents the 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 word parenting barely existed Um, and people did not tend to nurture any kind of, or search for any kind of giftedness in their kids. So when it showed up, it terrified my mom. I started reading, you know, at three, and in kindergarten, they gave us an IQ test, and the uh, teacher called my mom and my stepdad in and told them I was a genius, and this made them really nervous, and they tried to raise me as a normal kid, and that didn't work because... I was nerdy. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And, uh, and so you, you started to branch out into some other activities. Um, I, I think quite fascinating, you got into bodybuilding pretty early. And, uh, and tell me about some Art. of the other things that you did that you no. wouldn't necessarily expect Art. from somebody Art. with a high IQ.
0: The deal is that every nerd thinks that his innate gifts or kindness or gentleness or whatever will overcome the social handicap of being nerdy, and he'll uh, he'll end up getting the girl that he wants, mm-hmm. which is how it works in a lot of movies. Um, it took me till close to the end of high school to realize it doesn't really work that way and that I would have to make some I'd learn, have to learn how to you know acquire some of the stuff you need to Get a girlfriend because that's I really wanted one, yeah I think the seventies were a very sexual and and sexually desperate time. Um, I think because everything else sucked. Sex was one of the few things that was good. The food was bad, the TV was largely bad. there were no video games or you know c g movies. Um, people were still you know skinny uh, so. Sex was a big deal. Mm. Now I think it's less so, but yeah. for me, I, I wanted to lose my virginity. and So I, I started lifting weights, I started talking like Barbarino from Welcome Back, Cotter. Um, none of this worked particularly well because Boulder wasn't a big town and everybody knew that I was a nerd trying not to be a nerd. Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, and so you, you went to college at the uh, University of Colorado, Boulder. Well,
0: first I went back to high school. Mm-hmm. I freaked out about college and was like, how am I going to get a girlfriend in college if I can't even get one at my stupid little high school? Mm-hmm. So I broke into my high school. I stole blank records. I went back to high school to try to have a second senior year with my other family, mm-hmm. my, my dad and my stepmom, in Albuquerque. I only lasted, I don't know, about 10 weeks. That didn't work well either. Mm-hmm. So, and, and then I
1: went to college. And then you went to college. And now you've, you've been married for 20 some odd years. So what Almost so what point, 25 years. Almost 25? So, so did you meet your wife at college? I did,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. University of Colorado, which is my hometown school. Mm-hmm. Um, which means that I didn't take it seriously.
1: Yeah, and and so now, connect me to New York because um, the in around '87 you started writing for MTV. All right, so
0: I have a theory of the universe, mm-hmm. and you know i started think I started working on it when I was about 21, and. I just wanted a quiet place to sit and think about you know, how the theory might work. So I decided to go back to high school one last time. I was 26. Mm-hmm. I wasn't there to, to hit on girls or anything. I was just there to be stuck in one of those little desk chair combinations. You know, Einstein had the uh, had Swiss patent office where he stood and thought about stuff. I thought I'd sit in high school and think about stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, I went to high school in Albuquerque for summer school and then the fall semester and I got bored there. The, a girl I'd been dating at, during her last semester at the University of Colorado, I had, after graduation, moved to New York and I asked if I could move out there to finish my last year of high school. Mm-hmm. So she became my fake legal guardian and I graduated from high school for the last time at 27. Wow. wow. Um, and then I was, I was a high school student by day, and then I was a nude art model and stripper and bouncer by night. Mm-hmm. And I was hitting all the colleges in Manhattan looking for work as modeling for art classes. Um, you don't have to be attractive, You just have to be willing to get naked. It's not mm. like being a, a model model. But and at Fordham University they had a flyer up saying they needed 18 year olds to come try out for an MTV uh, game show in development. Mm-hmm. I, had, I, I liked being 18 but I couldn't be 18 anymore because I graduated high school. But this was one more chance to be 18 so I went and I tried out. Yeah. And they liked how dumb I was because I, I acted like I thought you know an mtv kid would act mm-hmm. they had me back to do another run through of the of the game for the execs um and i really li- i'd never been around a bunch of smart funny people before and it was really fun and exciting and mm-hmm. i asked you know can, can i work for you guys and i'm not really 18 and you don't have to pay me and viacom runs on interns mtv so i, I forged some Documents that said I was getting college credit, and I went to work for the show, which turned out to be Remote Control.
1: Mm-hmm. And so, so from there, you you started a pretty long string of you did a lot of clip shows and things like funniest shows and and uh, and writing for behind the scenes of a, of a lot of comedy stuff. T- tell me about that. Well, I, how that happened. I I, I met
0: the guy who would eventually be my writing partner on remote control, and New York was kind of gross in the mid-80s, mm-hmm. late 80s, um, so my wife wanted to move home uh, to LA, so we came out here. Um, I had a bunch of years of of, un- of unemployment or semi-employment, just you know, bouncing and, and being naked, um, then hooked up with who'd become my writing partner, we kind of accidentally got an agent at William Morris and started working on um, The World's Funniest, which was Fox's version of America's Funniest Home Videos. Mm-hmm. And you're just writing jokes to clips. Yeah. Um, during other times, you know, I, I wrote for quite a few game shows, um, Eventually, you know, we worked with Jimmy Kimmel and ended up working on his shows for a long time.
1: Mm-hmm. And, uh, and tell me about, um, through, through this, you, you've been taking IQ tests and you, you learned that you had a very high IQ. Um, and also you, you were, got involved sort of in the, in the genius community, if I can say it that way. Um, all right. So the
0: whole the whole thing is like embarrassingly nerdy, but it's hard for me to stay away from the same mm-hmm. way that you, if you're really good at something, you want to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. And, um in high school, I thought I was really smart, and then I requested to see my permanent record, and it had all my IQ scores in it, and they were lower than I thought. None of them was Oh, none of them were over 151. Hmm. So I'm like, that's not very smart at all. I'm going to have to learn how to live as a regular person. At that point, I became a bouncer and a stripper and, and a naked guy. Um, yeah. Then I started taking these... Then I found out that... I started taking... IQ tests designed for pe- supposedly designed for people with super high IQs. Then I started scoring in the 170s and 180s. I found out that I'd never gotten higher than about 150 in school because the tests only go up that high in school, which makes okay. sense. But you, it doesn't, in terms of what the school is going to do with a kid. Mm-hmm. There's really not much difference between a kid scoring 140 and a kid scoring, you know, 165. You're that. A decent school will still get that kid additional resources. Mm. IQ was originally designed not to be, you know, have three or three digits of precision. It was the guy Binet in France wanted it to have a scale of one to five, with three being average. Mm. If a kid scores a one or a two, that kid needs a certain kind of help. Kid who gets a four or a five. Is going to need some other kind of help. And then, you know, Terman and some other people in America turned it into this hundred point ratio scale that makes it seem a lot more precise than it actually is. Hmm. But it was really designed to figure out what educational resources should be given to each kid. Hmm.
1: And, uh, and I've, I've heard it said that that people with high IQ anyway, no two tests will be able to accurately test that person's IQ. And, and, and I well, know that there, there is a lot of experience involved too. Like if, if somebody has spent a lot of time with the kinds of questions that, that come up in these tests, they're going to do better than somebody right. who hasn't been Right. I've in taken
0: dozens and dozens of, of IQ tests. So yeah, so there's a practice effect Yeah. Um, and IQ, it's, the whole idea of IQ is a little wobbly mm-hmm. where you're trying to, you know, measure intelligence on a linear scale, mm-hmm. whereas intelligence has lots of different aspects, yeah. and persistence and other qualities. When taking some of these super high-end tests, which can take a hundred or two hundred hours to really do a good job on, you know, other factors come in, which is knowing what it takes to do well on the tests and having the persistence or having the desperation to have something going for you. Mm.
1: So circling back, how does that inform your TV writing, your joke writing in particular? Um, Do you find that that you uh, call on, is it a quick wit that you call on or? My wit's
0: not that quick. (laughs) Some some of the people I've worked with are super fast. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm slower. You know, One of the shows I worked on uh, involved uh, prank calls mm-hmm. and you need to be super fast to, to write a prank on the phone and that's not my area of expertise. My mm-hmm. strengths are pulling a lot of information in from different areas uh, and coming up with analogies that are kind of jokey. Jokes are, are a way of presenting information and I'm good at digging up information. Mm. And
1: and tell me about, um, you've written uh, a lot of pilots, a lot, a lot of them ended up being unaired, um, but you worked on a lot of pilots in the 90s, some apparently uh, with, with Jimmy Kimmel. Um, tell me about uh, about that sort of aspect of your TV writing.
0: I haven't done a pilot in a long time, but I don't know. I've, worked on eight or 10 or, or 12, and you know, most pilots don't go. Mm-hmm. Some pilots aren't even complete pilots. They're kind of pilot run-throughs where, like for a, a game show, a company might give you five grand to put on something that's like a high school play. You find an auditorium with a stage. You promise everybody that you can't pay them anything now, but if it goes to series, then, oh, you'll pay them a lot. Um, And it's it's just a rinky-dink little production, Um, and um, in the 90s we did a show, a pilot, a run-through pilot for five grand called uh, get a job where, for FX, if you won, you got a three-month job at you know the place of your dreams. Mm -hmm. They focus-grouped it and. The focus group said that getting a job was way too serious a subject to be presented in a game show format. No. And then you know now every show you know now there are you know are dozens of shows that hook you up if you win the show. Hmm.
1: And uh, and so um, tell me about then uh, writing with Jimmy Kimmel because that that's, since 2000 there's you've done quite a bit. I worked on his
0: shows for a long time, I mm-hmm. wrote a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it, in one form or another, you know, made it onto TV.
1: And, uh, and, and tell me, uh, say for instance, about, um, with I mean obviously in general terms, but just when you're writing, writing in that context, some of the things that somebody might need to know if they wanted to write in, in that sort of sphere.
0: Thing one is, you need to be lucky. Mm-hmm. Because in the entire history of late night TV, depending on what you call a late night show, leaving out like SNL and and you know maybe Colbert, the Comedy Central version of Colbert and Stewart, you know just the, the straight late night shows like Johnny Carson, into Conan and Leno and the Jimmys. Um, There have only been four or five hundred writers in all of history who've worked on these shows. Wow. Um, So you need to be lucky to to end up on one of those things. Mm -hmm. Um, Thing two might be that jokes and the people writing jokes I would guess are smarter than ever. Mm. Because say a hundred years ago, you live on a farm and going to town, either to school or to, to do your business, is the most interesting part of your week. Mm-hmm. You go to town and you, you maybe trade three or four jokes. And so over the course of a year, maybe you've heard 200 jokes. Now if you go on Twitter and you follow you know, enough people, you can read 200 jokes in 90 minutes. Mm. Everybody's heard every joke ever. Everybody's been exposed to. It's, it's one reason why TV is having, you know, according to a lot of people, and I agree with those people, a golden age where TV is really good because everybody's seen every plot ever, every joke ever. Um, and so good TV has to rise above the junk that everybody is already completely familiar with. Mm. If you watched like a Tonight Show monologue from the '70s, I think people would be surprised at how simple and easy the jokes are. Hmm. Somebody's fat, Elizabeth Taylor. Um, you know, somebody's it just it, it, everything was pretty straightforward. Leno was known for telling kind of straightforward, easy jokes, but I think that I would guess that a lot of Johnny Carson's jokes were super, super straightforward, and jokes now are less so because people are more sophisticated because they have a greater knowledge base. Mm. There's a thing called the Flynn Effect, which is that the IQs of the entire planet, the average IQ of humans everywhere, has gone up 15 or more points since World War II really? Yeah. And Flynn, the guy who discovered this, said, well, it's not that our grandparents were really stupid. It's that pop culture has pervaded the world to such an extent that everybody has learned sophisticated habits of thought, which means that our entertainment needs to be more sophisticated.
1: Mm. That that is fascinating, and, and fascinating applications for somebody who wants to, to break into this. Um, do your homework.
0: <laughs> well, um, I wrote I wrote a little web article with thirty points on breaking in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll see if I can remember some of those. Mm-hmm. One is have no pride. Don't fight for your words. The first. Guild, writers Guild job my partner and I ever got, they called us in and they said, you guys are here and the previous writers aren't because they fought for their words too much. Mm. TV's highly collaborative. And good TV is highly selective. Mm. And in, if you're working on a late-night show, most of the stuff you write is not going to make air. Hmm. You just have to do the math. If a host gets presented with 200 jokes from his staff on an average day, and some hosts get more than that, each host has has kind of a standard number of jokes that can fit in the opening talk, yeah, but nobody even Leno probably spit out the most jokes in his monologue mm-hmm. but even he um you know didn't go much over 30 jokes and he was you know I would guess I have no you know actual information about it but you know you've got a, he had a big staff if everybody's turning in 20 jokes which is not unreasonable mm-hmm. Some people turn in way more than that. He's gonna get hundreds of jokes, out of which you know, he might choose a couple dozen. I think he's gonna come up with some himself, probably. Um, so, you know, you're looking at a super high rate of jokes not making air. Mm. Um, but you need all the jokes for the, you need the big batch of jokes for the, it's like virtual particles, in the there, we live in a sea of, of particles that only momentarily or don't really exist, but that sea of virtual particles in the world supports the the real particles, the particles that rise out of the sea of virtuality and get to exist for a while. Hmm. and you need that same sea of, of jokes for the the good jokes to rise out of, yeah um, but anyway, don't freak out when your stuff doesn't get used. Mm -hmm. Um, There are a bunch of, you want to get your stuff out there one way or the other now, so you want to put stuff on YouTube, you want to do stand-up. I just saw the LinkedIn page of the head writer of of The Tonight Show, Mm -hmm. and he said, don't contacting me asking how to break in. Uh He said, go to New York or L.A. and start doing stand-up. That's how you do it. It's not how I did it, but mm. but you do. With all the ways you can get your stuff out there now, you know, Twitter, YouTube, still stand up. You need to be getting your stuff out there. Mm. Somebody may see it, even if they don't. You need to do the comedy push-ups to 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 get to build up an arsenal of ways you can come up with jokes. Mm-hmm if you can afford it be an intern. I I started off as an intern Um, and you're giving the intern thing took a big hit when people started suing entertainment companies because the companies were allegedly abusing the system. Having people work full full full-time jobs doing actual Jobs like accounting, Mm -hmm. but not paying them and and calling them interns. So eventually, some people sued over this, um, which meant that some companies quit using interns. They switched entirely to PAs, and fewer of those because PAs get paid. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you can go out and you can, you know, there are hundreds of of production entities in LA and, and Probably pushing a hundred in New York, and if you contact a bunch of them and say, "Hey, I want to work for you for free mm-hmm. and I'll do anything." Some of them will be like, "Okay, that sounds good." Um, and if you're competent and cheerful and hard working, you will stand out from the other interns because the average intern isn't so much that way mm. because you know there's no entrance exam for entertainment for TV or movies and a lot of people drift into it because it seems easy and fun and because they're hoping to you know, become a star and the same people who have that kind of, hopeful, have that kind of hopeful thinking often aren't the best workers. Hmm. So if you're an intern and you're a great worker, um, you'll stand out. Yeah, and you'll move up. It may take a while. The, the entire ent- entertainment industry is a, is a scam where everybody at the lower levels works under horrible conditions for generally not great pay, hoping to move up to be one of the few people at the top of the pyramid. Mm-hmm. Um, so I forget what my point was gonna be, except that, you know, put in your time at the bottom of the pyramid, and if you're competent and not a douche, you'll likely slowly move up. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. What What is sort of where you're looking towards for the future? What what do you see yourself doing uh, in the future?
0: I've got a book I'm trying to get a deal for Mm -hmm. about the 10 years I spent in high school. Yeah. High school student by day, highest i q in america stripper by night, bouncer by night, you know naked guy by afternoons and and night um, and it's a ridiculous story and it's fun and I'm just trying to get you know internet famous enough that somebody'll give me a deal mm-hmm. I don't want to self publish it that seems like a swamp of 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 selling eight copies of a book mm-hmm. and you're in there i mean the self published like Legitimately published books, or not legitimate, but, but books published by big publishers, there's still a lot of junk there, but then you go into the self-publishing realm and where the authors themselves are often setting the bar. And you, it, you're, If you self-publish, it, it, it seems really hard to become the, the real particle that rises above the, the virtual stuff that sells four, five, 12 copies. Mm.
1: Yeah, and then you don't have the prom- promotional weight behind it right. of the publishing company. Yeah. Um, so you said that you had some other tips and I've yep. we've taken a break so you can grab them and here we go.
0: Yeah, um, don't stop after your first or second idea. People who, don't, who aren't in the habit of coming up with ideas think that the f- first thing they come up with is fine. It's generally not your best. You want to come up with a dozen ideas, and then pick the best of those ideas. Mm-hmm. And you want to get in the habit of coming up with ideas, so you know it doesn't take forever to come up with those dozen ideas. Mm-hmm. Be healthy. If you, especially if you look on Twitter, that com- you might think that comedy writers are drunk slobs, but um, that's just. For comedy purposes, people mm-hmm. are generally pretty healthy. Yeah, in the '70s, you know, comedy writers had the reputation based on maybe SNL of just being coked up and, and super druggy and just. But you know, the the comedy offices I've been in, you know, there's there's fiber gummies so people don't get you know they can stopped up sitting at work all day. There's there's exercise equipment, you know. Um, you want to get adequate sleep, you just, I mean, you can party some, but LA is, like LA, which is more of an entertainment town than New York now, the, the bars close at, at, at two. Mm-hmm. And most bars empty out, you know, well, long, er, earlier than that, because people have stuff to do the next day. Mm. If you're wanting to write comedy, you might want to join an improv group, which really helps you come up with ideas more productively, though you don 't want to make your friends come to your improv shows. nobody wants to see uh-huh. those um, what else uh, I said you, you could try to get jobs on game shows, but that's kind of that 's an old school kind of game show writing is you know less dignified and less than other forms of tv writing Mm -hmm. but that's really under the umbrella of get your stuff out there right so you don't have to look for game show jobs anymore you can put your stuff on youtube or wherever else is the current place to put your stuff on the internet Mm -hmm. but just get your stuff out there which means you should be working on your stuff Um, if you're going to write late night you want to know the news You kind of want to know who's who in the world of of punchlines. If you aspire to work on a late night show, know that show, watch that show. Some people don't know the show they're trying to get on well enough. You Mm -hmm. need to watch it. You need to like it. It shouldn't be an exercise in just doing homework. You should really appreciate what the show is doing. And if it's a late night show, know the shows on that network. That show may refer to those shows sometimes. Uh, what else? Use your life. I've. At my. I'm pretty eccentric. So, I have a. If I can't get a laugh with my jokes, I can sometimes get a laugh with the stupid stuff that's going on with me personally.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and. So build your humor from your life. Comedy Twitter is generally people commenting on dumb stuff going on in their own lives. Mm -hmm. And along with using your own life, develop a point of view. I've been trying to build a point of view. I think it's scary and funny how the future is gonna kick our asses. Mm -hmm. How we suck up every new device that comes along but all our devices, all our tech, are the seeds of the destruction of traditional humanity. Mm-hmm. 30 years from now, we're going to be all borged out. Every Not just cops will be wearing body cams. Everybody will be wearing personal recorders because people will want to hold on to and share their lives with other people. Mm. Zuckerberg says he wants... Facebook to eventually be telepathic.
1: <laughs>
0: Which means, he, instead of people sending each other cat pictures and sunsets, people will send those along with how it made them feel to see that sunset or to eat that casserole or whatever. The, the feelings will, you know, this is 50 years from now, I don't know, but eventually people will you know, send feelings to each other mm-hmm via whatever the, the, the social media of the time is. And we, humanity will change into this weird... I, I like set thinking that the percent weirdness is equal to the last two digits of the year we're living in. Mm-hmm. So we're in 2015 and life is about 15% weird mm-hmm. compared to the 20th century where yeah. you know, everybody is married to their devices. Um, 2025, life will be 25% weird. By 2090, 2095, life is gonna be just... Old politicians like to talk about the world we're leaving to our grandchildren. Yeah. Well, Our grandchildren are gonna be completely weird to us. <laughs> and the world will be completely weird. I've been trying to figure out where the humor might be in the future kicking our asses. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and how much of that is generational, though? I mean, as if you're writing for comedy, you have to be able to relate to the generation that's coming in as well.
0: There, as part of the weirdness that we're living in, where we're just, like, drowning in information, mm-hmm. there's not the generation gap they talked about in the 60s where... You know, adults have a completely different set of references and behaviors than and than people in their teens and 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody knows who Justin Bieber is. Yeah. Um, everybody knows everything about everybody that you know. Is, are all the people who are in the tabloids. Um, so it's not exactly a generational thing. Mm-hmm. One more thing is to uh, learn how to pitch, learn how to talk to people. Um, you can learn, you know, by doing stand-up, you can learn by coming up with you know show ideas, and if you can get representation that'll get you into doors, then you know take meetings, pitch shows. Though do not expect to sell a show from pitching. I talked to a producer guy at the gym, and I go, and he's this, this is a guy who's sold quite a few shows. I go, what is the ratio of pitch
1: meetings to shows sold? He said, 200. Two two hundred shows sold for every one that's two hundred. You
0: take two hundred meetings before you actually
1: sell a oh, show. Oh, I, I see.
0: My wife and I have a, a show we've been pitching around. We've pitched at three places. My wife gets excited. Yeah. Ooh, they're gonna listen to our idea, and I'm like, you can't get
1: excited. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Very cool. So, um, so as we start to wrap up here, um, how can people? Uh, Find out more about your work. How how can people? Ed, you said uh, you're on Twitter. Yeah, see me at Twitter at dumbassgenius. Uh huh.
0: Uh, Just Google Rick Rosner, and you'll see a lot of the stupid stuff I've done. Mm -hmm. And scathing. The best part of stories about me on the internet are the horrible, scathing comments following the stories. Yeah.
1: Um, So there's lots of that. Yeah. Great. Well, I uh, I do appreciate you taking the time here to, to speak sure. with us and uh, and share those awesome tips and also about your fascinating life and I do wish you the best and especially with that book we'll be watching to see yeah, the book
0: w- is also called Dumbass Genius uh-huh so we will be watching for that soon-ish we hope I need to get a deal somebody a publisher needs to you know, think it's
1: a good deal which it is yeah well thanks so much Rick and uh, and best of luck to you. Thank you. I want to thank this week's sponsors, Red Giant Software at redgiant.com, Scrivener, outlining and storyboarding software at literatureandlatte.com, and Blackmagic Design, makers of DaVinci Resolve 12 edit software, and much more at blackmagicdesign.com. If you've got kids 8 and under, they're going to love the fun animated songs at abc123songs.com. I want to remind you that you can follow me on Twitter, at Grey Jones is my handle for the latest updates. And as always, there are tons of resources at tvwriterpodcast.com. You can find all of these podcasts on YouTube at youtube.com slash Graham A. Jones. See you next time.